Well, hey, Hub City, it's great to be with you as we kick off this new series, Wanderings. We're going to be spending the next few weeks looking at the Israelites wandering through the desert. They wandered for 40 years. Now I can let you know and give you some peace of mind. This series is not going to go on for 40 years, but we're, we're looking at their journey as they exit slavery out of Egypt and they're heading towards the promised land. And we're going to learn from their experiences because I think we can relate to their experiences. This idea that I know we're not literally wandering through a dry uh, desert land, right? But we are in this lush Skagit Valley, but we're in a time of confusion and a time of uncertainty, a time of unknown of what the future looks like. And guess what? That's where the Israelites found themselves. They were searching for a time of prosperity and health and vibrance. And I would think many of us right now in 2021 are looking towards that looking at this year saying, yeah, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for health and vibrance and, and prosperity and, and some sense of normalcy again, right? Coincidentally enough, the Israelites are leaving Egypt after a time of plagues and we're in 2021 uh, exiting a season of plagues as well. That's just coincidence. That's not happened. Uh, that's not part of the plan here. But in reality, we all go through desert seasons. Right? We all go through times of wandering, physically wandering, emotionally wandering, relationally wandering. How about spiritually wandering? You find yourself just twists and turns of life and, and, and there's so much uncertainty. And the question throughout this series is how do we respond during these times of wandering? And uh, as we heard the, the scriptures read uh, just a few moments ago, uh, we're looking at a, a couple of texts out of Exodus, in Exodus 13 and Exodus 40. And what you see is the Israelites are kind of playing this game of follow the leader with God. Remember like the game Simon Says? And people would play Simon Says and follow those and things like that. That'd be a fun little thing for you to do right there or do a little bit later. And I know some of you right now are just like, nope, not going to happen, Sean. I'm not going to play Simon Says. I'm not a child. Uh, but I, I think what it speaks to and illustrates is this idea of learning to follow. And God is teaching the Israelites here to follow him. Look at chapter 40, verse 36 and 37. We saw in their travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they, were, they would set out. But if the cloud would not lift, they would not set out. This is all, if, if the pillar of smoke representing God would leave, they would leave. If it would stay, they would stay. If God said pack up, they would pack up. If God said take the scenic route, they would take the scenic route. And again, as they're playing this game of follow the leader, what is God teaching them? What is he trying to instill in them? He's not, he's not trying to control them. He's not like this mean, vicious God up on his throne, like, ha ha, watch this, right? Is he just trying to take them the long way to wear out their sandals? Like, what, why is he doing this? Why not just give Moses some godly GPS? Right? And just say like, Moses, this is the promised land. Go directly to go, right? And collect your $200. Is he teaching us that godly people are nomads? Is he trying to instill some sort of reward, work, spirituality? Like if you just do all these right things and step where I step, then I'm going to give you what you want. Like what is he teaching them in this, in this moment? And as we look at this text, I think it's important to, to grapple with that question. What is God trying to teach the people of Israel? And it's simply this idea, will you follow me? 
God is teaching them to follow him. Think of the Israelites. 430 years they've been in slavery in Egypt. That is generation after generation after generation. And now they've just been given freedom. Think about that. Now they have just been given freedom. What are they going to do with that freedom? They could be like a little puppy. You take off a leash, right? You ever had a little puppy? You take off the leash. Pew! That puppy's just gone. It's everywhere at once, right? Just like, I'm free! And it gallops around. It gallops. It runs off and darts and goes everywhere. Doesn't listen to you, call its name or anything like that. And you go chasing it around. And you wonder, like, would the Israelites have been like that little puppy if God had just led them out of Egypt and said, go for it. You're free. Like when they just said, all right, thanks God. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you soon, right? And just gone off and run and done their own thing. Instead, what is he trying to teach them? He's teaching them to follow him. Teaching them that in this newly discovered freedom, there is a relationship with God to be cultivated. That he wants relationship with them. The whole point of the Exodus is for God to be with his people. The time in the desert is for God to be with his people. The point of the promised land is God to be with his people. And so he's using this desert time for them to learn how to follow him, to follow an authority that isn't going to enslave them, but is going to love them and care for them and, and, and protect them. Think of that type of relationship that God is trying to cultivate with the people of Israel. And if they would learn to follow God in the desert, they would be able to learn how to follow God in the paradise. If they could learn to follow God in the desert, they'd be able to learn to follow God in paradise. I think right there, for some of us, that's all you need to hear right now. If you can follow God in the desert season, you'll follow God in your paradise. It's really hard to follow God sometimes in the deserts. But if we can learn to follow him, when it's uncertain, when it's confusing, when it's difficult. We'll learn to follow him when life is a little bit easier and we're in that promised land. We see even in chapter 13, verse 22, this idea that the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire was always where with the people of Israel? It was in front, right? The God is at the front line. He is the one leading them and guiding them and directing them. There's this dynamic that he is teaching them, follow me. And yet nowadays, right, in 2021, we find ourselves living in a world where the idea of following is actually kind of a bad word. Being a follower versus being a leader, well, in school, you're always taught, be a leader, not a follower, right? It's kind of instilled in us and, and, and cultivated into our, into our society and into our culture, the idea of being told what to do, where to go, how to live, who you are. People are resistant to that. And that's not just a millennial thing, my generation. This is generation after generation. If you look at all the generations of recent history, right, what are you going to see? You're going to see every generation rises up against authority because they don't like to be told who they are and what they do. And think about the baby boomers from the 40s and 60s that were born during that period of time. As they got older, right, what did they do? They resisted against the establishment. They rebelled, they, they protested, they, they pushed back against the status quo. And you saw hippies and civil rights movements and all of these things. And then you had the Gen Xers of the, that were born in the 60s and, and uh, beginning of the 80s. The, this generation was raised in, in, in predominantly divorced homes. And so what did you see? You saw a generation that learned how to be self-sufficient and independent. And didn't need people in the same way. 
They became resistant to the idea of somebody guiding them and telling them what to do. You saw the millennial generation, my generation, that uh, is seen as resisting authority because, yeah, they, they followed direction, but what, it, what always followed up with, with an instruction? Why? You see, the millennial always asks why. They want to know why do we have to do that? Why do we need to go there? Why do you want me to do it this way? And they criticize their authority. They, they push back. They've been living in a culture of technology that has given them instant feedback and, and, and results. And so when they're in a situation, when they're in a workplace, when they're in a, in a setting, man, they're going to give instant feedback. They're going to criticize and ask questions and push back. And that's seen as, well, they don't really like to follow the establishment, follow authority. You have Gen Z, those born in the late 90s to present times. These, this generation, this generation that, that follows me and is our youngest generation, they expect inclusion, they expect diversity, they expect the idea of authenticity and individual expression. That is written within their society DNA. The way they see the world is you be you. And if there is anything that is going to tell this generation not to be themselves, not to express themselves, you know what they're going to do? They're going to resist. They're going to take their ball and they're going to go home. And Gen Z has no problem picking up their ball and going home and, and walking away and saying no to something that's going to tell them who they are and how they need to act. You see, generation after generation follows these same trends. We don't like to be told who we are. We don't like to be told, go here, follow this, do this. Right? No generation wants to be told how to live. And yet, in all of this resistance to being a follower, yet we look at Jesus and what is a phrase that Jesus constantly repeated to people? What is a, an invitation that he constantly gave to people? Follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, you do you. He didn't say, figure it out for yourself. What did he say? He said, follow me. Look at these verses here. They'll be up on the screen. Matthew 4, 19. When he reaches out to the disciples, he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 16, 24. He says, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 19, 21. When he's talking to a rich young man, what does he say? If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In John 10, 27, when talking about being the good shepherd, he says this about his sheep. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Repeatedly, Jesus used this phrase, to follow me. In a world that says we shouldn't be followers, Jesus is, is, is constantly reminding us, hey, you need to follow me. The people of Israel needed to follow God. Think about as we look at those verses, what is Jesus trying to say? He repeatedly says, follow me. Read between the lines. What is he trying to say? When he says, follow me and be fishers of men. Sell everything you have. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Listen to my voice. I know you. And follow me. What is Jesus trying to say to people? What is he trying to say to us in regards to following him? Spend time with me. Give up your plans for me. Travel with me. Lay down your career for me. Submit to me. Give your comforts to me. 
Allow me to define your identity. Allow me to give you a new calling, a new career. Allow me to lead you. That following Jesus is about surrendering that control of our lives. Following Jesus is about learning to pray for direction when I'm facing a life decision. Following Jesus is learning to conform to his ways rather than trying to conform Jesus to my ways. When Jesus says we're to follow him, he's asking us to trust him. He's inviting us to follow him, and what he's inviting us to do is to follow him and trust him. Because trust and following, man, they go hand in hand. The whole idea of learning to follow God in the desert was learning to trust God in the desert. You see, God is not a mean God and a controlling God. He is learning and trying to help them learn. Excuse me. He's trying to help them learn and develop this relationship where they will trust him in the desert. Following and trust. They go hand in hand. Think about the days where you had to follow somebody in a car. Remember the days where you didn't have a cell phone that had GPS on it and you were following a friend or a family member in another vehicle and they knew how to get to the restaurant. They knew how to get to the house, wherever you were headed, right? And what did they say? Hey, just follow me. And so you would get in your car and they would be in their car and you would follow them. What did you have to do? When they change lanes, you change lanes. When they use their blinker, you use your blinker. When they stop, you stop. What did you do? You trusted them. I trust that they know where they're going. You didn't just speed out in front of them and say, okay, I got it from here, I'm gonna take care of this. No, you learned in following them, I gotta trust they know where to go. I think there might be a faster route, but I've gotta trust they know how to get there better than I do. So I'm going to follow them. And you're trusting that they're watching out for you in their rearview mirror. They see me, right? And they see if I got a car between me and them and they're gonna slow down or pull to the side. They're not gonna ditch me. They're not gonna speed through that yellow light and leave me hanging at a red light. They're not gonna forget about me. What does that do? It develops this kind of trust, this, rep this rapport, right? And this connection that takes place as you're following them in a vehicle. That's what God is cultivating within this relationship with Israel. Would they trust him in the desert? If they could trust him in the desert, they would trust him in paradise. Would they trust him? Let's look at what that trust could look like. One of those aspects of trust is trusting that God is with them. You see, the smoke that represented God was always there. In chapter 40, verse 38, says that the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, and, the, and in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Look at that last line again. In the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Meaning what? They all could see the pillar of smoke. They all could see the pillar of fire. It was always present with them. Navigating them on this long journey, always consistently being there. He didn't just depart and then come back, depart and come back. God is constantly guiding them in their travels. What is that showing? I am with you. I have not abandoned you. I haven't just left you for dead out here in the desert. That God is with them and they aren't alone in that season. And, and it reminds me of, uh, of us 
Recently, uh, teaching our son how to ride his bike. My, my wife did an incredible job teaching Maverick to ride his bike and, and, and there was an element of consistency of her being right next to him, holding the bike, stabilizing the handlebars, pushing alongside with him, right? And being there, being there, being there and she would let go and he would ride. She would let go and he would ride, right? But he needed that consistency and that presence of her just being there and watching and encouraging and standing by and that made him ride a two-wheel bike for the first time ever in his life. Even though he was wobbly, even though he was going in circles and falling down, even though he was, you know, having trouble at first because the weight of the bike was too heavy for him on his own, the mere presence of her being there made it easier for him to keep getting up, made it easier for him to stabilize those handlebars, made it easier for him to trust that he could do this because she was present with him. How many of us are in a season of wandering right now and we're needing that reassurance that God is present? That God is with us and he's walking with us in these difficult times. You're looking around wondering, God, where are you? You wonder the people of Israel wandering the desert and at times wondering, God, 40 years, we got to do this? But they could constantly look up and see that pillar, that pillar of smoke, that pillar of fire, and be reminded, God is with us. They didn't always remember that. But God's presence constantly being with them was trying to build that trust that God is with his people. Jesus reminds this, uh, this principle to the disciples before he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28, 20. Right after the Great Commission, he gives them this promise. He says, I surely and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even when we're feeling alone, Jesus is with us. Even when we're feeling desperate, Jesus is with us. And it's learning to follow Jesus because I trust that he is with me, even when I feel alone. The other aspect of trust that is being developed here is trusting in God's direction, in God's timing, in God's pacing of things. You see in chapter 13 when we read it that the way God was leading them was not the shortest, quickest route to the promised land. It says that he took them the longer route. All right, I'll read it again. It'll be up on the screen. In verse 17 and 18 of chapter 13, God did not lead them on a road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around, around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. God took them the longer route. God took them the slower route, the scenic route. Why? Because God knew that if they would encounter battles and enemies, they'd freak out and wanna run back into slavery. And we're gonna see throughout this series, that is something that they do, and it doesn't even matter that they didn't encounter a war with the Philistines, they, they have this tendency to want to run back. And God knew that that fear would be stoked by battles. So he takes them this longer route. Because taking them this longer route, did you see the direction they had? Toward the Red Sea. They, it's in that direction. What do they see? They see the Red Sea split into two. They see a path through the water. They walk through the water. They see their enemy washed out and drowned behind them. They see God provide freedom that they had never imagined possible. 
That would have not been possible had they gone the shorter, more uh, quick route. But see, it's learning to trust in God's timing. It's learning to trust in God's direction, that God may be taking us on the longer route. God may be doing something in a way and in a timing and in a pace that is slower than what you and I want. It's not the quickest results that we want. He may not be answering our prayer the way we want him to answer it, but guess what? God may see a bigger picture than you and I see. He may see, yeah, we need to go this route because if we go this way, you're going to freak out and give up on me. Yeah, we're going to go this way because if we go this way, you're going to see me do something miraculous, like part the ocean, part the Red Sea. We're going to do something miraculous this way. We're going to go this direction. We're going to go at this pace because if we go this way and you see something, this is going to build your faith, not, sh not shatter your faith, not scare your faith. Some of us right now, we're in a time of wandering and we're just wishing, God, why won't you fix it faster? Why won't you heal me? Why won't you answer my prayer? Why won't you show up? God, get me to the finish line. Can I be done with this desert season? Can I get into the promised land of, of prosperity and health and vibrance? And can you just answer my prayer and we get there now? God isn't toying with you. God isn't trying to be mean with you. But he understands something that you and I sometimes just in the moment, we don't get it. I don't think in the moment the Israelites understood, but it's in, con it's in the context, it's in hindsight that we're able to look back and read Moses' writings about the Exodus and see, man, God knew that if they faced war, they would freak out and abandon him. They would turn back. God knows something about this circumstance that we just don't always understand. And that's where we learn to trust in his timing. We learn to trust in his direction. We trust in his pacing. That I'm going to follow God and trust in Jesus no matter the unexpected twists and turns of tomorrow's journey. You see, a lifestyle of following God develops a lifestyle of trusting God. It's learning him. It's learning to follow God in the difficult times so that I can follow him in the easier times. It's learning a lifestyle of following God develops a lifestyle of trusting God. I can trust God in the difficult times. I can trust God in the easier times. I want a lifestyle of following God so that I have a lifestyle of learning to trust in God. And right now, I think there are some of us that feel like we're in a wandering desert time. Can I just encourage you, don't resist that. Don't be angry at that. Don't get upset by that. We need to embrace these moments. And it's not because I enjoy pain. It's not because I enjoy difficulty. It's that these are the times where you and I are the most desperate. These are the times where you and I are most vulnerable and most exposed and most open to the idea of needing some help. It's when the future's unclear that we then run to a God that can show up and do something miraculous. It's when the doctor diagnosis comes and it's not quite clear how this is all going to work out. Well, that's where we turn to God. It's, it's when the, the financial security that you once had has been disrupted. Well, that's when we're most vulnerable to saying, man, God, I, I need you to show up. It's when we're relationally wandering, financially wandering, spiritually wandering. We need to embrace these times as an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I know even collectively as a church, over the last 12, 12 13 months, it's been a, a season of wandering. 
And people asking me, what, you know, who are we as a church? What are we all about? And, and, and COVID definitely just challenged all of that and rattled my cage and rattled some of our cages on, on who we are as a church, what we're all about, what we stand for, uh, what's most important. Wrestling with things about services and ministries and staffing changes and budgets and events and uh, building projects. I mean, we just had Easter at the outlets. That was so exciting. And then it just stirred this conversation of like, well, what's next for us, Pastor? And I'm like, you know, that's really great. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the future looks like quite yet. And I don't like not knowing. How many of us like not knowing? Not many. But collectively as a church, it's kind of this season of uncertainty. It's that season of wandering. Like, who are we as a church? And, and during this season, God, I, I believe, has begun to solidify my heart who we are as a church. A little phrase that we've used occasionally and, and at times, but I think it really captures who we are. So if somebody were to say, you know, oh, you go to Hub City Church, what are they all about? Who are they? This phrase to me just captures like, this is what we are about, right? And that is, we are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. Hub City Church is ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. That's what it's about. That's what we're doing. Collectively as a church, we don't know what the future looks like, but we know that we are we are ordinary people. We are people, fallible, make mistakes. We're ordinary, right? But we are following an, ex an, ex an extraordinary God together. And I just, I think it is so timely that we are in this series because it is resonating with that idea that God has solidified in my heart of this is who we are as a church and I'm seeing that here. The Israelites are ordinary people, but they are learning to follow an, ex an extraordinary God. And they're doing that together. And we will follow God together. I don't know exactly what our services are going to look like, our budget's going to look like, our staff, our ministries, or all those things. Man, I got dreams and I got visions for what those could be. But God, as he's solidifying this statement, kind of brought it back to some basic things of following him. Right? As we're following an extraordinary God together. What does that look like? It means getting in the word together. It means building community. It means serving our city. These are things that over the course of the year have just risen to the surface in my heart. And God has just said, like, that is important. That is who we are in following him. These are the things that he's leading us towards. You've got to be getting in the word. You've got to be building community. You've got to be serving your city. Loving your city. That's what following God together looks like for us right now. And as I've wrestled with this collectively as a church, I know we've all wrestled with it individually. We're going through our own seasons of wandering and uncertainty. And I want you to just think for a moment, if Jesus was standing right in front of you, it's not me standing in front of you, but if Jesus were standing right in front of you, it helps you if you just close your eyes for a moment, just go ahead and do that. Jesus is standing right in front of you and he extends this invitation. What does it look like for you to follow through? If Jesus stood there and said, come and follow me. All right, just picture that for a moment. Close your eyes and just picture Jesus standing right in front of you. And he just says your name and he says, come follow me.
what, what is that next step for you? What does following him look like? We saw in the verses that we read that following him could be an assortment of different things. It could be a changing career. I'm going to make you fishers of men. It could be giving something up. Oh, I'm going to sell all my stuff and follow him, right? It could be picking up your cross and enduring a difficult season, following him, laying down our plans and our agendas and our stuff. And For the people of Israel, it meant tearing down and setting up. Tearing down, setting up. It meant following wherever the presence of God was going. That's where they would go. That if God said, come and follow me, they said, okay, where are you going? I'm going there. And I'm going to set up and I'm going to tear down. I'm going to set up and I'm going to tear down. What is it in your life that maybe Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to tear this down. There's things that you've built up that you need to tear down. And following him is going to require you and I tearing some things down. Maybe there's some things that need to be set up. And he says, come and follow me and let's set some stuff up. Let's begin to build some things in your life. And maybe, maybe it's just little steps of movement. What does it look like to move forward with him? To look where he's going, look where he's leading you. Maybe a big step, maybe a small step, but either way, as it was for Israel and as it is for us, a big step, small step, whatever it is, it's a step of movement and progress towards Jesus. Take that step and follow him. A lifestyle of following God is a lifestyle of trusting God. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, right now we just come to you and we surrender our lives. We submit ourselves to you and, and just, we do want to follow you. And for anybody watching right now that wants to make that decision to follow you for the very first time, to lay down their life and say yes to following you for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, we just, we just invite you into our lives. We say yes to, to, to following you. Thank you that you do love us, Jesus. You give us that fresh start we need and you are walking on our journey alongside us. You are taking us down a path that doesn't always make sense, but God, we learn to trust you as we follow you. And I pray for all of us, God, to, to have the courage and the boldness to do what you've called us to do. Whether it feels monumental or it feels minuscule, God, whatever that step of obedience for each person watching, whatever that next step of obedience is, God, I just pray for the strength to say yes to following you in that area of our life. God, we want to be people who follow you together, both individually and collectively as a church. We follow you. We love you and thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.